Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest is a returning guest, Brian Deary, Chief Scientist at Factum. And I keep coming back to Brian because he always got a lot of interesting things to talk about in the crypto sphere. Uh, he's got a lot of deep knowledge. So today we're going to be talking about atomic swaps, decentralized versus centralized exchanges, and a few other interesting items, perhaps Lightning Network. So Brian, how are you doing? Thanks for having me back, Richard. Yeah, yeah good to see you. So first thing, let's jump right in into exchanges, centralized versus decentralized. Sure. So there's been a lot of uh, hype over the past week or so about um, uh, atomic swaps, and there's probably a good reason why. So so what and who cares? Um, the, the reason for this is decentralized exchanges. So uh, let's talk about the, the biggest one, uh, the, the biggest centralized exchange. Um, so empty Gox. Uh, is uh, some people pronounce it MT Gox, but it was really uh, there was nothing there. Um, there was a <laughs> yeah. oh, I thought you meant Mountain versus yeah. MT, but MT, I got you. Yeah. Uh, so there was a uh, a group that was burned by the um, by Mt. Gox a while back, and they were uh, did some uh, analysis on the blockchain to try and figure out what exactly happened with their coins. And uh, they gave a uh, presentation uh, a few weeks ago at one of these conferences. And it was amazing. At, at one point, Mt. Gox had no coins left. They were completely cleared out. Um, then at some other point, they, um, they put some into a, a paper wallet um, that uh, Mark miraculously found while cleaning up a few, uh, uh, a few months later. When you say they were empty, was it when they were doing business or after they had been Yes, hacked? yes. So all their customer funds that they were storing for on behalf of their customers were gone. Oh, man. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it was basically, a, a, I don't want to say Ponzi scheme, but it was a, it was a, it was a scam all the entire time. Wow, really? Yeah. Huh. Um. What, what should have been there in contrast? Any guess on the amount of Bitcoin that should have been there? Uh, hundreds of thousands of Bitcoins were, uh, were missing. Yeah. Wow. I always think in terms of today's dollars, but back then it was probably millions anyway. Yeah, maybe tens of thousands. It, 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 there were various exchange rates at various times. Huh. 
amazing. Okay. But it was also an amateur operation. No one really uh, knew what this was going to turn into. Mm. Um, so, but this is uh, kind of uh, an unfair um, comparison. Um, so, uh, atomic swaps are crypto to crypto transactions. So, comparing them to uh, a fiat exchange is a bit unfair. So, um, so let's look at uh, an, another exchange. So, Poloniex mm. is a, is a big name, and they only do crypto to crypto. Um, well, back in March 2014, more than 12% of all the bitcoins that they had on their exchange for customer funds were stolen. Did people know? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. They, they basically came out and, and put out a press release that said, yeah, well, all you coins are gone. And yeah. uh, sorry, we're going to try and uh, make it back. Hmm. Um, and sure enough, they did. They paid it back a few months later. Um, but this was one of the most surprising things to me, that they were able to generate enough revenues to pay back all this this, uh, this stolen uh, coins over such a short period of time. Uh, so they're, um, they're making a lot of money on fees if they can recover from something like that very quickly. They save a lot of it on having no support. Well, this was 2014, so... Um, well, now, I'm we'll saying now, yeah, they probably make yeah, even more. They, they probably save tons of money on having zero support, so... Yeah, yeah, well, that's a huge problem there. Um, so, yeah, today they're a victim of their own success. Uh, so, some of these support tickets are open for uh, weeks, if not months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, basically, funds are in limbo as you're, uh, as people are waiting for... Um, for Poloniex to look at the blockchain, look at their internal database, and realize that there's a disconnect and manually fix it. Well, Coinbase, too. I mean, supposedly I read in the news that Coinbase had the largest share of complaints, you know, against them for you know, not helping their customers as fast as they should be. Mm-hmm. Lack of support, same kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's rampant. Yeah. Um, so, there's another uh, problem that... Uh, for, for consumers, identity verifications. So uh, on Poloniex, if you you can you can put money in all day long. Oh, I know. Um, it getting it's like a Roach Motel. A, precisely, roaches go in, but they can't come out. So they have these withdrawal limits. Um, but uh, there are probably a few reasons for this. Uh, maybe some of it's consumer protection. Um, if your account gets hacked and you're not sophisticated, then you wouldn't want to. Um, have your account emptied overnight. Uh, you want to have it take some time. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think the main reason is uh, government surveillance. Hmm. Um, so kind of a papers please type of situation there. Where um, if uh, if you need a, to pull out more than maybe a couple thousand dollars a, uh, a day or something like that, then... You basically got to tell them who you are. You got to hand over your papers. Well, why not? You know, if they're going to have AML KYC problems, why not limit it coming in? I mean, some nefarious person they could deposit a million dollars to Poloniex in two seconds, and it can come in. Yes, getting it out takes time and all that, but at well, least it can come in and out of other hands. Yeah. Well, this is kind of one of the problems with uh, uh, with these cryptocurrencies, where you, you can't really stop people from sending you money. 
what you can do is not recognize that um, that they sent it to you. I mean, this is what Polonix does accidentally. Hmm. Um, but um, yeah, they want to generate fees and getting that quickly. And I mean, people know that they shouldn't put a million dollars in if they're not going to be able to get it out. Um, maybe they'll figure out figure they'll uh, figure it out later. Hmm. Um, but uh, there are other exchanges. So Bittrex has um, allows zero withdrawals if you don't present papers. Right. Um, so why do why do people trust these these exchanges? So you've got uh, Poniax and Gox and um, these other exchanges. Uh, well, this is where the liquidity is. So this is where you go to basically get the best rates. Uh, also, trust. So these exchanges have been operating for years with many not horribly dissatisfied customers. Um, and uh, these guys probably won't run away with your money over the next uh, few days. Well, another thing, too, is like, you know, so I'm U.S.-based. If I deal with a U.S.-based exchange, I feel like, all right, they could be sued. They could be subpoenaed. They could be gotten. Also, too, you didn't mention that, you know, let's say you have uh, 20 different coins in your portfolio. Mm-hmm. It's a nightmare to try to get wallets for all of them. And the exchanges conveniently act as a wallet for all of them. Sure. Yeah. Not a great one, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there, there was an exchange that operated without asking for papers. So BTCE was incredibly amazing to me. Hmm. Uh, they operated over half a decade uh, without all these draconian controls on them. And, uh, but alas, they were a centralized exchange and they could be shut down, so they were. Um, they uh, basically took down their website. Um, and it's still unclear. Things are unfolding about what's happening there. But um, So there's another um, crypto-to-crypto exchange. Uh, there's one, uh, Shapeshift. So it's, it's, it's very easy to use, uh, the service. But there are a few limitations. Um, so they've got a uh, $5,000 limit mm. on transactions. Um, this may be high for, uh, for a lot of people, but for some people, it's, it's a low number. Um, yeah. And uh, so while this limit might make sense from a perspective of someone who's trying to, to move some funds, um, because... If you were to, on a regular exchange, if you were to sell all the um, uh, the coins at once, you'd get a lot of slippage on the um, on the order book. So I, right. uh, should we go into that with your with your listeners? Well, a little bit. I mean, the larger the trade size, the more orders on the other side it takes to fill it. Mm-hmm. So you'll get slippage, and you you know, I want to sell I don't know, Bitcoin at four thousand. Um, I want to sell 20 Bitcoin at 4,000. That's a big order. You may have to have like 50 different people on the other side. I'll take 0.35. I'll take 0.78. I'll take, but they'll take you to different prices. Mm-hmm. So your trade becomes, I sold this much of that, that much of this, this much of that. It's messy and there's fees for all that. And, you know, yeah, it adds up. And so basically the, 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 the main point is you can't sell all of it at the spot price at once. You have to sell some of it for, Lower than the, the current price. 
Yeah, a lot of coins, if you uh, even a one BTC order size will move the market. So you'll pump it, you'll pump the coin as you're buying, or if you sell it, you'll have to sell it, you know, a whole bunch of price points. Mm. So liquidity is very important. Yeah. Um, so maybe the $5,000 limit makes sense, even if you weren't, uh, if you didn't, weren't obligated to it, but I mean, it's an obligation that maybe may not need or want. Um, well, one thing a lot of people may not know about Shapeshift is they are the buyer and they are the seller. Mm-hmm. So you're not just, you know, people probably don't even think about it, but you use Shapeshift. Well, who's buying my Bitcoin and selling me Dash, for instance? It's them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they have to have money in all their accounts and they have to accommodate trades. You know, they, they may not want to exhaust their BTC to Dash um, swap on one person. Mm-hmm. There may be other people. So there's a lot of reasons for it. Yeah. So to, to pay for all this, they, they claim that they charge a half a percent. Um, but uh, they're, they're also making predictions about what the market's going to do over the next few minutes. Um, so they, they probably are uh, charging a little more than that uh, when things are uncertain. Um, but, and yeah, you can only deal with them. I mean, to your point, you can't really deal with another person uh, no one else can come in and, and fill the um, fill the take make it give you a better deal on your shapeshift transaction sure. or if there's a pair you want mm-hmm. they may not have it they may delist it they may be so low volume that it's not worth it to them so yeah, yeah. and who knows they may have uh, uh, technical problems too so shapeshift got hacked uh, a year or so ago and the entire service stopped hmm. um, it Took them took him a while to, to, um, to bring the entire system back up. Um, and uh, also, coins go up and down independently um, all the time uh, for various reasons. And if you're um, relying on that, then tough luck. Um, there's another thing that... Uh, uh, has been talked about much, but uh, political neutrality. So, um, is that an oxymoron? Uh, no. So, if, um, Eric was a party to the uh, New York Agreement, um, and this was a um, an agreement between business leaders to redefine what Bitcoin is on behalf of the business's users. And uh, so he's getting a lot of, of flack uh, these days for um, for basically sticking to this agreement, even though there's a, a large amount of customers who aren't satisfied with uh, the outcome of that. Um, and so he may or may not list uh, both forks of um, uh, Bitcoin come mm-hmm. November. Interesting. And um, I mean, it's totally up to him. It's his business. Um, but basically, he is not being politically neutral if he um, if he doesn't offer uh, both both sides. Right. And uh, and this this coming um, fork, at least the way that um, it's currently planned out, is going to be extremely messy. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think the agreement will be abandoned? As you know, now Segwit's here. It's 
starting to take effect, at least somewhat, do you think by that point people may say, you know what, it's good enough, we're fine, and then abandon the agreement, or do you think it'll go forward? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I've seen a lot of activity for a community that loves uh, Bitcoin Cash. I've seen a lot of activity for people that love um, uh, Bitcoin Core. Um, there doesn't seem to be a community besides the business community, the, the signatories to, uh, to this agreement, that like, uh, say, with 2X. You know, it's interesting. I'm seeing no one talking about this. I don't know how many months ago, people were screaming, the mempool is full, transactions took forever, the fees were high. Are the fees high now? I don't know personally. And is the mempool full all the time? Is there even a need right now in this moment to scale further or are things magically okay? Well, so that's a good question. So there's uh, something called induced demand, um, where if someone will, if there's extra capacity, uh, then it will get used. If you build it, they will come. Um, but as far as the Bitcoin mempool is right now, um, I mean, it fluctuates from an hour to hour, from day to day. Uh, but we've, Factum has been paying about 20 cents per transaction. Hmm. And occasionally there are delays of uh, a few hours um, when there are transaction spikes. Uh, but uh, it's a far cry from the dollar or so transaction that we were paying a few months ago. Um, so it doesn't feel like the urgency is there right now, but we've still got a month or two. And so who knows, the urgency might return. Okay. And then one question on exchanges. So what what is a decentralized exchange and how would it work? Um, so sure, we'll get to that. Okay. Um, so uh, another thing, Eric has actually recently hinted that he would uh, is working on something like a decentralized exchange. Hmm. Um, so there may be uh, there may be more in the books uh, from there. Um, and so, so all this is to say that uh, decentralized exchanges are, are badly needed. So. Uh, lower fees because you're not paying businesses for the risk of and the overhead of holding all these coins. Higher liquidity because you're trading with the entire world. The absence of surveillance. Uh, you don't. You won't have to show your papers anymore. Uh, political neutrality, where you um, basically you can choose the coin that the software that you want to run, and uh, and greater security because. All the coins are, are held by the end users, and they're not held by uh, some centralized uh, pot of gold to get uh, stolen. Here's the question, though. Where's the order book going to come from? Who's going to see what orders are out there? I mean, an exchange's role could shift to, all right, we'll host the order book, but we're not going to take custody of any of the coins. But we'll, we'll just show you what's out there, and we'll take a fee for you to list your trade on our order book. Sure, that is a unsolved problem at this point. Um, so, maybe. So, there are a few decentralized exchanges around already, um, but they're not really used a lot. Uh, I, uh, I, I wouldn't even be able to tell you the names of them, 
Okay. Um, but suffice to say, there's there's not a whole lot of liquidity there. So I guess people aren't fed up enough yet, and uh, these centralized services are easier to use. And also, the centralized services have these a, a much clearer uh, avenue to revenue to profit. Um, and so uh, this niche that you're talking about with being the, the order matcher is probably going to happen at some point. Um, so um, let's talk about uh, atomic swaps a little bit. Yeah, what are, why are they called atomic swaps? What you asked. Swaps? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I heard that... Um, North Korea is doing research into atomic swaps. Uh, <laughs> they have atomic swap capability, long range. Of- yeah, long range atomic swap capability. Um, so atomic swaps were uh, were actually hinted at by Satoshi way back in the day, um, but they never went into uh, detail about uh, uh, about the uh, uh, these. Um, the, the the most famous uh, early description was by. Uh, Someone going by the name uh, Tir Nalan uh, in May 2013. Um, it was kind of presented as a solution for uh, uh, exchanging colored coins, and uh, so colored coins are basically representations of um, of other assets. So you could have a share of stock be represented by these colored coins, and um, and this was early days of of this kind of thinking. Uh, and then it kind of moved on to um, Mastercoin and Omni and Counterparty, and, and now uh, it's mostly uh, all that uh, innovation is happening on Ethereum at this point. Uh, but um, but this was by no means the, the first uh, description of these atomic swaps. So uh, other descriptions predated it by at least a year. I, I don't know how, how far back it goes, but yeah, 2012 was people are talking about this. Um, so how would an atomic swap work? Looks like a very simple case. Um, sure. So I guess uh, how technical do you want me to get? On, uh, Just start real basic and then okay. I'll ask okay. you questions if I don't understand, which okay. will help. So there was a, um, the, the, the tier Nolan protocol, uh, the most famous one, uh, it worked, but it had a huge hole. Um, it had uh, it suffered from transaction malleability. And so um, we'll we'll get uh, to that later. But um, so let me go back to your question about the atomic part. Mm-hmm. So let's say I go to a vending machine and I put in some cash into the machine. What happens if Nothing comes out. Well, that's happened many times to me. The spiral thing moves, and mm-hmm. the the candy bar sits there against the window, and you got to bang the machine. Or, you know, sure. Or sometimes it just doesn't move. Again. And and sometimes if you if you go to a merchant, I mean, if you hand them the cash, what's to stop them from saying okay goodbye <laughs> uh, and and showing you the door. Yeah. Um, so this is what the magic of, of cryptocurrencies have, um, where it basically relies on the revealing of a secret number. So 
uh, going back to our vending machine example, um, there or in our merchant, there are two things that ha- happen independently. So first, what I do is I put in the the dollar bill, mm. and then at some later point in time, the the goods get uh, sent out. Um, so with crypto, what you do is either both of these transactions happen simultaneously, or let me rephrase: either they both happen, or they both can happen, or they don't. None of them happen at all. Um, oh, it's like an all-or-nothing type thing. Precisely. Okay. Yeah. This is all assuming things are acting properly, um, and so, like in the vending machine, in the, in the um, example when everyone is in agreement and things are happening uh, happening normally then it doesn't really matter if you don't really trust someone um, what these atomic swap protocols uh, the value of these is that you don't have to trust the other party who is somewhere on the other side of the world who you've never met and you'll never meet again that's cool to to, to basically not only do half of the deal. Now, what they can do, though, is they can cause you to have a bad day. Um, but I think we'll uh, we'll get into the, some of the problems a little bit later on. But um, so the the problem with the uh, atomic swap is it takes four transactions. Hmm. So typically they're done on different blockchains. Um, they can be done on the same blockchain, but you probably use a different way of doing that on the same blockchain. Um, but basically the way it works is one person will put funds into a, to an address that has two exit conditions. The first exit condition is if a secret number is published on the blockchain and it's signed by the other the other person then they can take the coins okay the other condition is if enough time elapses then i can get the coins back okay um and so that other person what they would do is they would generate a secret number Keep it secret. Give me the hash of that number. Mm-hmm. Um, I would then basically put some money into uh, into this multi-sig style address, right. multi-condition address. Um, they would. I would only do that after they did something similar. So they already knew the secret number, so they would do that on their blockchain. Uh, but the intended result of those coins would be going to me. Okay. And so uh, those coins are basically locked up for some period of time. I'm confident that um, that if um, if I put my coins out there, then only one of two things will happen. Um, either the the other person will reveal the number 
So uh, I don't know this number at this point, but I've locked up money. But the other person has basically put a little piggy bank out there that said that I can have those coins in that piggy bank if I know this number. Right. Okay. Um, but they're not going to tell me. They're only going to tell me as they pull money towards themselves. Okay, I got you. And so, if um, if everything goes wrong, then after a period of time, the money goes back to the original people. Um, but and so, since this is a blockchain, since you need to publish this secret number in order to to pull those coins that the person needs to pull those coins um, I'm basically guaranteed that uh, I can get the coins when they take theirs oh so the system won't allow me to put my coins into this multi-sig-ish address unless the secret number gets published to the blockchain it won't allow me to it won't allow you to take them you can put the coins in the multi-sig but okay. you can't take them out. Okay. And so it's not really all that complicated or technical. Um, but what's to prevent the other person from taking the coins from your wallet then? Or from your, sorry, from your... Uh, well, this is, um, this is kind of the magic of it. You, you've put this money out there for them to take, but in order for them to take it, they need to reveal the secret number to the piggy bank. Right, but the secret number revealer, mm-hmm. they also have to put their coins into this. Yes. Yeah. Like, a, I guess, a instant type escrow type thing. Mm-hmm. So the blockchain acts as escrow, essentially. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So they put their coins up there. If they don't reveal the secret number within a period of time, the whole transaction collapses and the money goes back mm-hmm. to the parties? Well, it wouldn't do it automatically, but you would be able to... Uh, to give yourself a refund. Oh, but you'd have to go and do it. Yeah. Hmm. And so uh, there comes into edge cases where if the, the blockchain is full, then you may have to pay a high fee or things like that, uh, hmm. which is annoying. Well, what if someone uh, tries to spam you and do like dozens of transactions all at once blah, 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 and ties up, you know, you think, I don't know, maybe it's, it's automated and you put your money into this address, but it, you know, it, it somehow automatically has you spend the money eight, 10, 12 times and it ties you up and all these transactions. And mm-hmm. so, yes, that is a big problem. So this one is more a problem of, um, identity. So, um, so someone can lock your money up for per day or however long this timeout period is. Um, they can't steal the money, um, but they can ruin your day. So some kind of a reputation system would help with that. Um, not so much in the know-your-customer sense of reputation, but if someone is repeatedly doing these transactions over and over again, you can have a some degree of confidence that they're not going to screw you over. Well, why not time this to like the confirmation time of the even blockchains in question? Like six confirmations, mm-hmm. however long that takes. And then that's the time limit for the transaction to exist, so they can't hold your money for a whole day unless the blockchain's like horribly slow or something. Sure. And it's not really their fault. Sure. So the shorter that timeout period is, so you remember that, um, so the other person 
gave me so um, the other person set put the uh, the coins in that piggy bank, and if I don't open them in time, mm-hmm. then that person gets them back. So I would be uncomfortable having a really really short timeout on that piggy bank. Okay, and so I would want that other person to have those coins locked up for a day, which gives me time if if something bad happens um, for me to be able to recover or if the blockchain got congested or something like that, um, for me to be able to take those coins um, without the other person also having the ability to refund them to themselves. Um, but, so, if that timeout period is too short... Mm-hmm. Then yes, you're able to get your your deposit back, basically. Um, but it's also very dangerous where one party might end up with both sets of coins. Well, if it's too short, it favors one person. If it's too long, it favors the other person. It sounds like so. This is a sweet spot. Exactly. So I don't know if there should be a predetermined set of times or values based on again how long it takes to render a block on the given blockchains, or the people decide when they're going to do it. They choose. And keep in mind, this is only for when things are going wrong, mm. that the atomic swap um, protections really come into into practice. When people are cooperating, then everything can happen naturally. Mm. Um, another possibility, uh, I haven't quite worked out how, but uh, is that uh, the person who you're dealing with can post a bond of some sort. And so if they, if they do back out or if they... Uh, if they don't reveal that secret number, then um, they'll sacrifice some money, a small amount of money or something like that. Um, so, it sounds like a smart contract. Yes, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> so, smart contracts are um, basically every Bitcoin transaction is a smart contract. So this is one of the things that um, uh, you realize once you start going down the rabbit hole that um, uh, every Bitcoin transaction, they're, they're not accounts. They're not um, addresses. Um, each and every Bitcoin transaction is its own computer program that gets run. Now, um, Doing these atomic swaps in Bitcoin might be a little bit harder. Um, so there are a few standard computer programs. Um, these are... Uh, and so a transaction like this is a would be a non-standard transaction. Um, and this may not propagate around the peer-to-peer network uh, as efficiently as a regular uh, transaction. Your, your transaction might get stuck. Um, but... Uh, Back in the day, there was a um, mining pool where you could uh, basically take your transaction and submit it directly to them. Uh, and they would mine it into their block um, whenever they, they came around. Uh, they had about half, 5% of the hash power. Um, and that pool was actually founded by um, Luke Jr., of all people. Mm. Um, and, but they don't have any perceptible hash power at this point. Um, I'm not sure if other pools have the service. So I don't know how easy these atomic swaps would be on Bitcoin. 
Yeah. Well, the problem is, though, Bitcoin is still the reserve currency for fiat gateways. Mm-hmm. So it's got to work on Bitcoin. If not, it's kind of lame, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it probably works. It'll, it's just probably slow. Um, so maybe we'll go off on a little bit of a tangent. So the, the Tier Nolan um, protocol had this huge hole with, uh, with malleability. Where is malleability meaning the screw with abilityness of a transaction? Exactly. The monkey ability. So it relied on a refund transaction that was multi-sig. That was only really used when you um, uh, when when things went wrong. Um, but the problem is that the transaction that you used to, to put it into the piggy bank that could get malleated which would invalidate that refund transaction. Mm. And so, basically, you would be, your money would be left in limbo. That if the other party disappeared, that money would be locked up forever. Because you would need to have their cooperation to get your refund back after it got malleated. Gotcha. Um, so this was a huge problem up until um, a year or so ago, um, where a new opcode, uh, or new um, operation, it's not an opcode, um, something called uh, Check Lock Time Verify uh, came out. Um, and this is what the, the new modern versions of Atomic Swamp use. Um, and it totally gets rid of this malleability hole. That's so how does it work? Um, so it, it makes the scripts a lot cleaner. Um, basically it makes it such that if you want to go down one path of this, one execution path of the smart contract, then the lock time, uh, the time where a transaction becomes valid, where it's invalid before this time, must be at or above some block height or some time. Hmm. And so this is basically a way of making an address, um, a multi-sig style thing, where it can only be spent in a certain manner or to a certain person after a period in time. Um, do you remember all the, the, the past year or two years of this uh, fighting over this 95% uh, lock-in rate with the miners um, and we were watching the 40% go up and down uh, for SegWit. Yep. Um, There was another um, miner activation signaling thing uh, with a 95% threshold that went through no problem. Hmm. Check uh, check lock time verify. So, yeah, 95% of the miners signed off on that Hmm. in a fairly short period of time. There wasn't a whole lot of argument about it. It was obviously beneficial, and now it's a, uh, a normal part of Bitcoin, and it's now um, closed a lot, of, a lot of holes, like this uh, melee um, atomic swaps made those possible. Hmm. Um, and uh, so... You can't have your cake and eat it too. So there are some drawbacks to these atomic swaps. Okay. Um, 
So part of this is uh, you have this unique number, and this unique number goes on to both blockchains. So um, if someone is trying to figure out uh, which transactions are yours, so they can do um, uh, coin tracing, where they're trying to figure out who owns what coins. Um, since it has these two numbers, two unique numbers on both chains, now someone who's doing an investigation can compare across blockchains and basically track your funds as they go across. Mm. Um, so this is actually not much different than Shapeshift. So not many people know this, but um, so you've been on their on the, the Shapeshift website, right? I've used Shapeshift a couple okay. times. Yeah. So uh, have you seen the, uh, the the status bar where it's like popping up these new transactions that are happening all the time? I just focused on mine. No, okay. It's pending and see it. We received it. You know. right. Uh oh. <laughs> so, um, in the background, they're actually publishing every trade that they make. Mm, okay. Uh, they're publishing the the amounts and the coins, and basically the time as well. Hmm. Um, I, the the explanation that I heard was that uh, the courts can't get all ornery if. Uh, all this information is public anyway. They can't get a, a court order to uh, to get this information because, hey, it's already out there. Mm. Um, and so the blockchain analysis companies can keep track of all of the things that Shapeshift is doing and then eventually um, use it uh, to, to track people. Right. Um, but um, hopefully... Um, MAST, uh, Merkleized Abstract Syntax Trees, is another technology coming down the pipeline. Okay. And um, hopefully this will introduce some privacy into these atomic swaps, where if people are cooperating, um, and they don't have to go down the path of, um, of uh, revealing the secret number, um, if they can do it with a multi-sig or something like that. Um, at that point, uh, some of this privacy will be reintroduced to okay. atomic swaps. Question with atomic swaps, it sounds like they'd be a, a good use if you just use them on your own. You know, if I have a portfolio of I don't know, 10 coins and, you know, I want to go pay someone or invest in an ICO or whatever and I need mm -hmm. either, I've got Bitcoin, I don't want to have to go you know, buy and sell. I'd rather just go and change it and do the transaction myself. Can I do that with myself? Uh, I, I'm not sure. Maybe you're missing the point. So if you already have the ether, then how would yeah, you you're right. get more you're ether? Right. I need some counterparty to, to trade with. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And you trust yourself too. So there's no <laughs> need to have all this cryptographic, cryptographic certainty. That's right. Um, so there's some talk about mm -hmm. lightning doing atomic swaps, but that's far more complicated. Um, and I don't, don't really want to talk about that at this point. Um, but these atomic swaps are probably done with um, with larger transactions. Um, so with Lightning, the, the value is locked in a channel. You can't really um, uh, as of right now, uh, Lightning is, is set up to uh, to only transact with forty or fifty dollars, or um, oh, it's maximum. Hmm. It's uh, it 
kind of a protection built into the system. Uh, that's kind of a temporary thing. Uh, they can remove that later, but lightning is... Just like the block size limit. Yeah, precisely, yeah. Um, but these um, atomic swaps don't really have uh, a baked-in limit or need uh, funds to be locked up for a period of time like lightning does. Um, but uh, it, atomic swaps are slow, though. They take several blocks to, to get your coins. Mm. Now, um, after people are used to doing transactions on the Lightning Network where things happen instantly, um, waiting for blocks is going to be pain, a very painful operation. This is sort of like if you switch to a new computer and, um, and then you go back to your old one. Oh, yeah, that's um, horrible. Yeah. Uh, or you didn't notice it before, but but now you do. Um, and uh, and the other things, uh, discrete log contracts, which are basically a way to um, to do oracles and um, sort of a derivative contract on uh, to have kind of a, a pegged uh, Bitcoin value. So Bitcoin value can go up and down, but you still have the same amount of um, USD value. Uh, but I guess I think that's a conversation for another time. Yeah, sounds like it. So in order for a decentralized exchange to work, you have to have atomic swaps, essentially, right? Otherwise, you get to send it to a central clearinghouse partner that will match and yeah. swap funds. Yeah. Okay, I didn't realize that. Maybe it sounds obvious, but I just didn't realize that, so... So what's your prognosis on the development of atomic swaps and decentralized exchanges? How long till there's one that works and, you know, gets widespread adoption? It's a good question. I mean, people have been talking about this for many years. Um, apparently, there are exchanges that are out there already. But hmm. people aren't using them for whatever reason. So either they're too hard to use or the centralized services are easier. Hmm. Um with these exchanges, you're going to need to load software up on your computer. You can't just use a, a regular old wallet to make these happen. Even for an exchange, you got to log into the exchange. So it takes effort. Yeah. People are used to that. Um, people are more used to dealing with an exchange and a login and password than installing new software and having it on there. Uh, hmm. It's just a matter of getting the software written also. And this is actually one of the, uh, the the more disappointing things is that the incentives really aren't there to have these exchanges for the, the creators of the, the system. So there are a few um, decentralized exchanges that are starting up that have raised um, money in ICOs. And uh, we basically just walked through the algorithm that you don't need to have... Um, an ICO to do these atomic swaps. But in order to build software, you need to have an incentive. Right. And so by having these these projects get funded, um, now they have the, um, the will and the uh, resources to actually make these projects happen. Well, what's the problem? It, I mean, if they can monetize it, a centralized exchange, it's, it's a useful thing for people that value it. Mm -hmm. So they could charge a fee again, maybe for like showing the order book or 
curating all these orders out there sure. into one spot and showing them to you. Yeah, uh, take I, a fee for doing it. I haven't looked too closely at um, at those exchanges and how they plan on monetizing. Um, the other problem too it presents is uh, so in order to be really effective at a decentralized exchange. Um, you know, which pairs you're going to have on there. So the more pairs you have, the more order books you have to have. And if some of the order books are thin, they're not existent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all and then wallets too. And then there's wallets. Yep. Both parties have to have the wallets they want. Yep. We need a universal wallet, like I've been saying. Yeah, well, <laughs> sort of like uh, Linux, how people have been saying we need a universal Linux, but you have different Linuxes for different uh, use cases. you got Linux for your phone. you got Linux for your airplane, you've got Linux for your desktop, hmm. uh, you've got Linux for your set-top box, and same with wallets. You're going to have different wallets that fill different needs. What about if you're just dealing with like ERC-20 tokens and you want to do swaps? Could you use the underlying Ether to, I don't know, to somehow make it easier to do this? Um, so, if things that are happening on Ethereum themselves, that's probably, um, they have better ways of doing it than these atomic swaps. Um, Things that are happening on the same chain. Well, we we talked about this uh, just a few minutes ago. If you if you've got two transactions that are happening on the same chain, uh, you could probably just combine the two transactions into one, and basically turn it into a multi-sig. So both people need to sign the single transaction, mm-hmm. and the single transaction then. Uh, sends coin, coins one way and sends another set of coins the other way. And I imagine that that would be an easier uh, thing on Ethereum because it's all the ERC tokens um, are all uh, on the Ethereum blockchain. Now, if it was between Ethereum Classic and Ethereum or something like that. They would never let that happen. Well, <laughs> talk about it's all political about, neutrality. Yeah. It's all about permissionless innovation. Yes. You can't say no. I don't know. It's like Ethiopia and Eritrea or Palestine and Israel. Mm. It seems. But going back to what you were saying, you're saying uh, atomic swaps are problematic on Bitcoin. Are they possible? Oh, it's certainly possible. Yeah. Um, I, I, I haven't, I haven't tried them myself on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Um, So I may be um, making more, more of this is standard, um, but this is, these transactions are, are valid. They just need to get to the miners. Um, it's just a matter of getting it to the miners. And if the entire peer-to-peer network is ignoring these because they don't recognize it, maybe um, uh, as, the, as the network gets upgraded and these become more of a, a standardized thing. I, I may be totally wrong on this. It may be. It's okay. Well, last question was, what's standing in the way of this, of decentralized exchanges ramping up and being present? What's standing in the way of this? Nothing? Knowledge? Adoption? I don't know. The biggest problem is always uh, having people write the software to make it happen. Hmm. Um, This is still in the lab, essentially, right? In a beaker? This concept is just that... I mean, there was a a podcast... uh, maybe a week ago, about um, Decred and Litecoin, where Charlie Lee and the Decred guys were doing an atomic swap, and it was all command-line utility applications. Mm. Um, I've seen screenshots of some of these other decentralized exchanges, but... 
Yeah, the software needs to be there. Um, the marketing needs to be there. Yep. Uh, people need to know that they want it. Uh, it needs to be easy enough for um, normal people. Normal, normal Bitcoiners, let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's a couple different levels there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, great. I got lots more questions, but you know, I could ask you to death for hours. So I guess, you know, that's good. But thanks for the info. I appreciate it. No one else is really going in depth on this stuff. So, well, I'm uh, always here for you, Richard. Thanks. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.